welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Kia ora, everyone. Isn't it awesome to be in the house of God? And I'm um, not even worried about what's going on outside at the moment, so... And um, the Spirit of God is definitely here and moving, and just want to welcome everyone in Jesus' awesome name. Um, just turn around and give Joe on sound an incredible hand. Here's his first or second. Like, I always appreciate none of the sound guys so much, because when they're doing an awesome job, no one like notices or cares. It's like, but if ever, ever something goes wrong, it's like complaints, people are lining up. Uh, so such an awesome job. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, for those of you that are new, and I know there are some new faces here, I just want to make you so feel so welcome, part of our church whānau this morning. As Mitch said, free coffee uh, for you on the house this morning. Alrighty then, we are looking at um, part two of our work series, which we started last week, and I was really excited about that, and you guys were too, uh, and the discussion <laughs> that um, that generated was so amazing throughout the week. So this is part two. If you haven't heard part one, just just Google us online or on YouTube, you'll be able to find that um, message. So this is sort of building upon what we what we saw or what we heard last Thursday. But I just really want to recap. Um, so this whole series is about work. Working, we do it about a third of our lives, so it's a really big deal. One of the most relevant things we can talk about at church is actually how we do life and how we journey with Jesus at work. So that's the motivation um, with the series. So the recap last week, number one, we were created to work. Genesis 2.15, before the fall, before the curse, before toil came in to this world, God gave mankind a mandate. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So many of us think that work is a curse. If we could go back to God's perfect will for our lives, it would be like doing nothing and relaxing um, for eternity. But actually God put it in us to work, to create, to recreate. So work, it means to compel to labor or work, to work for another or serve another by labor and keep it means to keep, to have charge of, to guard and protect. You were created to work. Amen. I expected more enthusiasm, but that's all right. It's just the start. Number two, work is worship. First Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so whatever is a big word, it includes work. So whatever you do, including work, do it all for the glory of God. Work is worship. Our attitude while we are at work is worship. If we've got a bad attitude, that's probably bad worship to Jesus, uh, but how we, how we treat our staff members, how, how we, with our team, how we um, honor our boss, all of that is worship. So like I said last week, don't see your, your working day as an eight-hour working drudge. See it as an eight-hour worship day. You can worship for a whole eight hours with your attitude and with how you go about your day, and that's just incredible. So it's not... not Oh, I wish, like some people really honestly say, I wish we could have more worship at church in like 25 minutes. Well, 
Mate, you've got 40 hours of worship to look forward to this week. Number three, God speaks as we work. And I'm not going to go into all the examples, but so many examples throughout Scripture that God speaks more often than not, I believe, to people as they work, as they're going about their normal everyday business, as they are working so many times. God intervened, whether it was God himself or an angel or Jesus. We saw um, right through like David with um, uh, when he was called to be king, he was, he was a shepherd. Moses was the same, um, being a shepherd. Gideon was threshing wheat. Um, we went right through to the New Testament with the disciples, fishermen, tax collectors. God intervened, and God spoke to them as they worked. God speaks as we work. So if we're not working, maybe if, if we want to hear God more, let's just work harder. That's uh, all I'm saying. Um, and fourthly, Work no longer needs to be a curse for those in Christ. So I took you through Genesis, like God created us to work, then the fall came and a curse came upon our work. And then we saw with Adam, it was like weeds and toil and yucca plants and all of that. Um, so that was, a, that was a result of the curse. And we see in Galatians 3 that Jesus came and he took the curse upon himself. He became the curse for us, and I really don't think it's just so that we can go to heaven when we die. That we now, positionally, as we are in Christ, experientially, we're still called to worship and we don't have to come under the curse of work. We can work doing what God has called us to do, and there'll be such a joy, there'll be such an industry, there should be such a passion about that, that we truly will love our work. In Romans 5 verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, that was Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's in life. That's like now. So that was a challenge. I know that's sort of like a crazy one to get our head around, but I really do believe as believers we can, we can live under this incredible blessing. Whatever God has called us to do in work, we do it as worship. We understand it's part of our DNA that God will speak to us while we work, and we can find this incredible bubble of joy as we work. So that was last week, and I'm just going to carry on the, the numbering. So number five. We've only got two points really this today, which is pretty awesome. Um, God moves as we work. So point three last week was God speaks as we work. God speaks to us. So today's first point is God actually moves as we work, while we work. And um, as I was thinking about this, like I know a lot of you guys and, and your stories, and I could have chosen a whole lot of you guys to come up and share about your work, whatever your profession is, and share stories of how as you've been working as unto the Lord, God has come and God's moved in your situation. And um, this is like right outside of church, by the way. This is in like the dust and the grime and all of that of society that God moves as we work, as we are open to him, as we are just there in the right space. God will move, um, usually when we're least expecting it, but God moves. So instead of having a whole lot of people doing the testimonies, I just chose one incredible guy to come up and share some of the things. So if, if Jono wants to jump up on stage. Now, Jono... I really do think he's got the heart of a pastor um, on him. And that shows because God's called him into the pastor's, oh, sorry, the people care profession. So he's just going to share a couple of incredible stories. Uh, so oh, did we already applaud him? Yeah. Oh, let's applaud him again because he's so awesome. Thanks, Jonah. 
Morena Church Fano. Okay, well, how, how does God move as I work? Um, well, I'm a nurse, and I've been... Go for nurses! Come on! There's a few in the house. I can see the newest one here, and there's a few other ones. So bless God, bless all us nurses, working or retired. Um, look, I've been a nurse for 34 years. This makes me feel really old. I started um, working... I don't have to agree that I'm feeling old. Um, I started in the medical and then worked on to coronary care, and then um, I qualified in 1992. Some of you weren't even born then. Um, I worked 13 years in intensive care, and that was mainly in the UK. Um, but my intensive care training was my ticket to New Zealand, so praise God for that. So, and I believe that God moved, has moved me to care for quite a few um, critically ill people and sick people, and, and of course their families over the years. And I believe God has given me the skill and the gift to be able to do this. And I just humbly get on with my job. That's what I try and do. Um, sometimes I get accused of being a bit loud at work, but I don't... I know. That surprises me too, Julian. Um, I'm such a quiet guy, really. Um, so, but my, I believe my career was definitely a vocation and a calling, and I really believed I was called to be a nurse when I was a teenager at school, and I did some work experience, and I said, where do you want to go? I says, oh, I'll go to the hospital. So that was it. I did used to spend quite a bit of time in hospital. I used to fall over and bang my head quite a lot, but there we go. <laughs> So, over the years, um, but seasons change in our work lives, and um, um, now for the last 19 years, I've worked in the renal unit up at the Whangarei Hospital, um, and I currently work as a nurse specialist in the hemo, home hemodialysis unit. So I'm responsible for training people to, 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 to do their dialysis at home. Um, things how God moves me. Well, I pray for my patients, I pray openly and I pray covertly. Sometimes they're the fun ones. You don't know they're being prayed for. Um, but there's a couple of examples um, of when I worked in ICU. Um, I'll, I'll put the funnier, funniest and weirdest one first. Uh, it was basically, um, if anybody knows a little bit about abdominal, abdominal surgery, usually the first question is when, when a surgeon comes and asks you, is... Um, have you passed wind today? Because, um, you know, after you've done surgery on your bowels, they stop working. So it's usually, have you, you know, anyway. So I was looking after this particular patient in ICU, and um, he was getting these terrible abdominal cramps. Oh, my gosh, he was absolutely doubled over in pain. Um, I thought, okay, well, I'll, uh, would you like me to pray for you? Oh, yes, please. So I started praying for him, and oh, my goodness, there was a very large release of gas but there was instant relief so that was probably the funniest and weirdest sort of story um another time when i worked in icu um i looked after this um chap had taken sadly taken an overdose and he was on a ventilator and i was working uh, overnight and he and he wasn't expected to recover um or recover very well um I prayed all night. Basically, I prayed all night. I sat, I sat, because in intensive care, and I just stayed by his head, 
by his bedside, and I just prayed all night. And praise God, he woke up the next day. So, you know, other examples are I met a nurse a couple of years ago and, um, who um, did a night shift with me. Again, a night, night shift seems to be the times where you pray lots. Um, there's less people around. It's quite good working night shifts, apart from not having to sleep, but there we go. Um, and, and she remembered a shift that she worked with me about 19 years ago and um, how it had impacted her, that the fact that we prayed for my patient, that I prayed for my patients. Um, and the, the point is that we don't often see how God moves as we work. We don't see those, we don't see that. Um, but that nurse still remembered how it impacted her all those years ago. Um, so it's amazing. God can use you in all sorts of ways. You might, you know. Uh, I had the wonderful privilege of baptizing somebody in, 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 in their bed. It was a symbolic baptism, but the person didn't want to have dialysis anymore, but wanted to really commit his heart to the Lord. Um, and that was a very moving uh, occasion. We managed to do it with his family and some colleagues, and we prayed for him. So that was a wonderful and special time. God moved us, me to do that. Um, I visit people that I know in hospital when I'm at work, um, or people message me and say, "Can you?" or such and such is in hospital, and I'll just pop down and see them, and would you like me to pray for you? Um, I, I see people in corridors, so I've what I believe is divine appointments, and you might just sort of smile or say, how are you doing? And, and again, you know, God can use you. He can, I can walk around that corridor. Oh, I'm going to go this way today. I'm going to walk down this stairway, and you bump into somebody you know. You know, God just works with you. Because he said you've got to pray for the sick. So I'm fortunate in my, in my job that I generally start the shift. When I work into the unit, me and my boss, who's a Christian, we pray. Um, and that is wonderful. And, um, you know, sometimes two or three others will, will come and join us. But we, we always cover our workplace in prayer. Um, and thankfully, I don't do a lot of hands-on nursing anymore. I'm a sort of, you know, I'm a little bit older now, so I can't do anything really hard work. <laughs> but it's a different type of work now. And it is hard, but it's a different type because my job has changed, and I have, I'm able to spend more time talking to people, spending time, taking an interest in their lives, in their families, in what they're doing. And I always try and make an effort to follow up uh, on the conversations that I've had. And I've just remembered, hello to my grandchildren, hello Kaylee, hello Leah. Um, um, and, I, and I also make an effort to try and talk to all my co-workers every shift, and just to sort of like encourage them. Um, and see how they're doing. Um, We've had miracles of salvation at work, uh, patients and staff. Um, We've been able to pray for them. We've been able to pray for co-workers as well and had healing. So, and also, I mean, I don't know if you've been to the hospital, but you hear these code blues and things like that. They're not very nice things, but generally when we, when when there's a code blue, Jono's praying. When there's a code blue, neonatal code blue, Jono and two or three or four others are praying hard, you know. God moves us in all sorts of ways. We need reminders. We can be busy. We need reminders. And when you have that horrible code blue, code blue, that's when John is praying. So all glory to God. Um, just be humble, be caring, um, and always give people a smile and um, be yourself. So praise God. That's how God moves.
So good, Jono, thank you so much. Isn't that exciting? And you might think, well, it's, it's because Jono is a nurse and there's lots of, lots of opportunities. Um, go and have a chat to Wayne Gutton when he was stuck in a recording booth as he was, when he was a radio DJ and the, the life transformation that happened because he was working with a co-worker. Um, so, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what profession you have because God moves all the time. So thank you so much, Jono, for that. That's my fifth point. Sixth point, work is ministry. So let's just recap already. We were created to work. Work is worship. God speaks as we work. We're no longer, work no longer needs to be a curse for those in Christ. Number five, God moves as we work. Number six, work is ministry. Now, whether you realize it or not, every one of you is in full-time ministry. You're saying, nah, I'm not Simon. I'm like a farmer, right? Like I grow bananas or whatever it is. Like You're the one in full-time ministry. Yeah, I'm the one who is paid um, for, for doing what I'm doing. But every single one of you is in full-time ministry, regardless of what you do, regardless of how you get paid, because there is no such thing as a part-time Christian. Like, well, some people probably think there is, like I'm a Christian on Sunday when everyone's watching me, but I'm not the rest of the week. So there is not such a thing as a part-time Christian, but, and we're all called to ministry, so therefore it makes sense that there's no such thing as a part, you know, you're not in part-time ministry. You're in full-time ministry, every single one of us. So I just want to labor on this point, um, excuse the pun, uh, just a, a little bit about this, because if we can understand this, this will change our lives. I think what has happened, though, especially here in the West, that we're so good at putting our lives into boxes, we, we compartmentalize our lives, and we make, well, this part of my life is, that's my church Christian life, that's like the sacred spiritual part of my life, but, but the rest of it, that's just like the the secular part of my life. Um, and I'm not sure if God really cares about that, and I don't even feel like that matters to God. It's just like maybe less, maybe a little bit, but especially the, like the sacred part, the spiritual parts, like I know he's down with that. Like, um, but when you think about that, like how much of our life, like when we say spiritual or sacred, it's like church, definitely praying, reading our Bibles, like talking to someone about God. So when you add that up, say this morning, coming to church an hour and a half on a Sunday, um, maybe, and this is really generous, half an hour a day in the Word and praying. So that's like three and a half hours. So that's five hours. And maybe if we're really spiritual, um, we'll go to a home group. So that's like seven hours. And maybe you like say grace, it's a couple of seconds. <laughs> like when you add it up, like the, the specifically spiritual things, it's actually not a lot in our week. So the rest of it is secular. And we think that the spiritual part is the most popular part in our lives, which means that very little of our life really means anything. It's like, I don't know, like 4%, and like the other part doesn't matter. Like, oh, I'm in this job, and it's definitely not like a church job, so this doesn't matter at all. I just don't feel like there's any meaning in my life. It's like, yeah, I understand that the, the church and the, and the praying, but what about when I'm like working and I'm doing spreadsheets? And I'm like eating Doritos and cutting my toenails, and <laughs> not at the same time. <laughs> like, are those like those things that those don't, don't care? Like most of our life, if you under, if you believe that, doesn't matter. It doesn't. And people live then disillusioned lives under condemnation that they aren't like in full time ministry. But let's just have a look at what that thing is like. That's spiritual. What is? Spiritual. Now, this might come as a surprise. There is no word for spiritual in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, that word does not exist. 
It's not even there. Like the Hebrew worldview, and this is where we get our, our faith, everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. And this is like three quarters of our Bible. It's the Bible that Jesus used. There is no word for spiritual. And yet we obviously grab this word spiritual and think it's like doing stuff that means more somehow to God. Now, that word is used in the New Testament mostly by Paul. Um, But again, I, I don't think it means what we think it means, quoting the Princess Bride. Like we think again, well, Paul must have used it like doing real spiritual stuff. The way he used it, and I can't even find it in my notes. Oh, here it is. Numakitos. Well, I probably just ruined that with the pronunciation. The way Paul uses it, and he wrote most or a lot of the New Testament, it simply means animated by the Spirit. Or like moved or enabled by the Holy Spirit. So every time you see spiritual in the Bible, it actually means that we can do things animated by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? We have got the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as Christians, everything we do should be animated by the Holy Spirit, which means there is no such thing anymore for those that are in Christ as sacred and secular. Everything is spiritual. It's our attitude towards it. So that just blows my mind. So please don't think of anything like you're, you're anything less if, if you're in a job that feels mundane. It's like, well, what am I doing for the kingdom here? It's like, does this actually mean anything? You're doing it as unto the Lord. You're animated by the Holy Spirit of God's called you into that. It is all spiritual, which means all of us are in ministry. It means work is ministry. What you're doing is incredible. Three people are excited. Three people have got that revelation. The other three, oh no, the other, how many? Need some prayer. Every facet of our life should be spiritual. We should understand we're carrying God wherever we go, in the workplace, um, as we do life, as we do family. It's not just like the 4% anymore, it's like all of it. Our life is a spiritual act of worship, and it gets better. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about the Seven Mountain Mandate, um, and, and I, I'm sort of familiar about it. I just thought it was like something that Pentecostals just knew and took for granted. And having a chat with Chris, and he said uh, last week, oh, Simon, do you know the story behind this? And he sort of shared a little bit, and I, I, I didn't really know, so I did some study about this. Um, so I'll explain the background, and then I'll tell you what the Seven Mountain Mandate or the Seven Mountains of Influence or the Seven Pillars of Culture is. So way back in 1975, I was one years old, and there's um, a guy called Bill Bright. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. So an incredible ministry, um, seeing uh, so many people get saved. So that's 1975. He has this dream, like it's a spiritual dream. It's a God dream about these seven mountains of influence and in culture. And so um, soon after that, he sits down and has lunch with his good mate, Lauren Cunningham. And Lauren Cunningham uh, was the founder of Youth with a Mission. Again, an incredible mission sending, um, mobilizing ministry, huge, it's worldwide. So he's, he's Bill Bright's telling Lauren Cunningham about this dream that he had. And, and Lauren Cunningham says, you're not going to believe this, but I've had exactly the same dream. So, so they're, they're talking together and they understand that God is doing something. Um, and, and letting the church um, know that something is incredible uh, that maybe we've overlooked. But th- those guys are like charismatic, Pentecostal, and Pentecostals are never good at theology, so they don't really know what they're talking about. Um, 
But man, what about the evangelical side, the guys that are really into the Word of God? And it's so fascinating. There's a guy called Francis Schaeffer, if you look at the story. So he's hugely renowned. I think he's passed away now, but was hugely renowned, like a huge heavy hitter in theology in the evangelical movement. And he has the same dream. So they understand that at the same time, these three amazing men of God from different streams and um, in the Protestant church have this incredible dream. That is nothing short of supernatural. Um, and it's become something that I think probably has been a little bit overlooked. It's called the Seven Mountain Mandates. And, and the dream is simply this, um, that in culture, there are like seven mountains or seven pillars. And um, James, if you want to chuck them up uh, on, on the screen. Uh, and, and every culture is made up of these mountains. So the first one is family, which includes people care and health care. And that's an incredible mountain of culture. Um, you know, motherhood is the hardest work ever. Um, speaking from my experience of watching Christy do it, of course. And, um, you know, I think we've got, one, we've got one fireman. Hopefully people aren't offended by saying this. But, you know, the most trusted profession, the most valued profession, the most loved profession, like everyone loves in the world is firemen. Everyone loves firemen. Um, no offense to firemen, but uh, what do they do? Like they have two shifts, day shifts, and then they have two night shifts. And they get to sleep. Um, and then they get four days off. And, okay, like, before everyone's upset with me and Christy's going to tell me off, uh, like, they have to go to some pretty horrendous things, and I understand that. So they do. But mums see horrendous things as well. Um, so what, what about mums? They have all days on, no days off, working their whole entire lives as mums. Like, I don't want to discredit firemen. I probably have, and everyone hates me now. All the firemen in the world. But let's honor, like, mums are the hardest workers on the planet. And that's my point. And they need to be honored more. So often it's like mums are afraid to say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mum because it's like they feel devalued in our society. But they're incredible. I thought Christy was going to be, like, loving me more for that. Now she's, like, roasting me from the front. Can't win. You just can't win as a husband. So that's one of the mountains. Secondly is religion, which is spirituality. Third is business, which is economy and finance. Fourthly is politics, which is government. Fifth is education. Sixth is media, including communication. Seventh is arts, which is entertainment, celebration, and sport. So these are the seven mountains of influence. And the vision sort of was, was this, that Christians need to be influencers in all of these mountains. But by and large, so many Christians think that a lot of these mountains and these spheres of, of influence and culture are secular. So they instead turn their backs on that and they sort of run to the church and get stuck into church ministry, which is good. But I want to tell you that just imagine if 50 years ago or so that we had this understanding that everything was sacred, that everything was spiritual, that God was calling us into all areas of culture. Just imagine who would be running and influencing Disney Plus right now. It would be the Christians. The people in, across different political parties would be Christians. And arts and media would be the Christians. But why has that not been the case? I reckon there's two things. And this might be a little bit offensive, but I've already offended firemen this morning, so that's all right. Firstly, I think a lot of us have bought into an erroneous end times doctrine and theology, which means we need to retreat and bunker down and wait for Jesus to return. 
Because this world is getting darker and this world is getting eviler and we just need to wait and, and hide in churches and, and just because the rapture is just around the corner. And what that has happened, like people have believed that and have slunk away from these seven mountains of influence and they're no longer, Christians are no longer the influences in society. But just imagine if from a young person, they, they understood the call of God, that their call was into politics. Their call was into, into influencing the media. And they understood that that's a call and a mandate on their life. And that 50 years ago, now they'd be the heavy hitters and, and influences. Secondly, I think reason why this hasn't been happened is because instead of these seven mountains, we've made the, the church mountain by far the biggest mountain. And I really did believe this when I was growing up. Um, in an evangelical church. And if you really wanted to be spiritual, if you really wanted to give your life to Jesus, then you had to do two things. Either become a pastor or become a missionary. And, and if you did those two things, then God, you, like God was really stoked with you. So I remember as a farm laborer, I got into anxiety for a number of months because I was milking cows and, and thinking, good grief, I'm not doing anything for God. I'm like failing God because I'm milking cows and I'm not out on the mission field. Seven mountains of influence. We are all called to the seven mountains. Uh, and I know that this may be some revel revelationary, revolutionary thinking, but I actually really believe this. Now, if you want to Google this, be wary because there's so many people that say that this is heresy and this is like not of God. And I think because we're humans, we go to extremes. Um, and there is, a, like in the, New in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis, we understand that there was a mandate upon a man to, to rule and reign and to, to, to bring dominion. And that sort of still is there, but we don't really see that in the New Testament. What we do see is Jesus saying, go and make disciples. So instead of like this dominion thing, and I think it's, okay, I'll offend, I've offended a fireman and people that don't agree with me, I'll offend all the Americans right now. Um, I think with American politics, I think they've gotten a little bit weird with this um, and they make Christianity all political. Um, so this sort of make, gives people a, a sour taste in their mouth. But we are called to go into every single mountain of influence in this world and to make disciples because we understand that we are called to one of those or more of those places of influence. And we need to take the place, our place, that God has predestined us to be and start making a difference, start to understand the call and the mission upon our life to change this world, to go and make disciples. So I've got five minutes left. Gifted outside the church. And uh, one, one example in the Old Testament is this guy called Bezalel. And in Exodus 31, verse 1 to 6, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, for the tribe, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. Like He was anointed for this. It was like a spiritual gift. Now it's like, well, like, you don't read sort of prophecy or, or like worship leading or anything like that. He was like gifted by God to make stuff and to do art. He was no less anointed, and God used him phenomenally uh, to help build the tabernacle. But God gifted him with, with working with his hands. Like sometimes you hear mostly prophecies in, 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 in church. It's always like we're going to do this and you're going to plant this ministry. What about you're going to be incredible at Excel? 
spreadsheets. You're, like, you're going to have a spiritual gift. I really do think if Luke Tattersall's here, he has a spiritual gift in spreadsheets. I just don't know how he does it. Like, he's incredible. Like, I just don't have a clue. But, but then we, like, we devalue these people, but, but the Bible doesn't. God doesn't. Like they have spiritual gifts. Like we understand there's a whole lot of lists in the Bible of spiritual gifts. In my opinion, they're not exhaustive. Like they're examples of, of just the tip of the iceberg as to what God does with his people and uh, how he calls us. In the New Testament, uh, and this is just one last example, Lydia. And in Acts 16, it says, Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant, like a businesswoman of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. So just imagine if LinkedIn was around in Lydia's time. So we don't really know a lot. It sort of could look a little bit like this. Lydia of Thyatira, CEO of Luxury Textiles, manufacturing luxury purple dye and cloth for the first century elite in Thyatira and Macedonia, Europe. What's her experience? First Christian in Europe was a, a businesswoman, co-founder, host, and benefactor of the Philippian church, Exporter, importer of luxury trade goods, textiles manufacturer. What's her skills and endorsements? Effective church planter, persuasive business leader, influential businesswoman. Isn't that incredible? So I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited for all of you that we can understand that God has called us to work. And as we hear his voice and as God positions us, that is worship. God speaks as we work. God moves as we work. It's a spiritual gift. God calls us to be great influences in this society. Like I had a, a sort of a picture once a few years ago. It was, it was when I was doing my salt and light sermon. And um, just, just saw our church as like a big salt shaker. But like... If you had a salt shaker and you just left it on your table or wherever um, in your kitchen and never used it, it would just be like a trinket, right? It'd just be like an ornament. And sometimes I think churches are like that. We come together and we're all salt and we're in the salt shaker. Like salt really doesn't do any good to anyone in a salt shaker. It's when it's shaken out. That's when it brings um, flavor. That's when it brings um, healing. And we are an incredible salt shaker, but... This isn't where we should be hanging out all the time. We should be coming here and being encouraged and being enthused and fellowshipping and then being shaken out all over this world to be great influences, to go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you want to look at the, or unpack the Greek in that, it's you and you alone are the light of the world. Now let's have Dave up on on the keyboard. Dave's gifted at accountancy. It's a whole nother language. Like we're at, we're at church finances, finance meetings and it's like, well, I just trust you guys. Like, um, no, I sort of know a little bit, but I did fail at maths at school. So, um, but these guys, it's like, we've got two incredible accountants and they're so value um, at what they do and, and they use their giftings to serve the church as well. Um, well I just want to, encourage you guys, you are salt, you are light, so go and shine. Go and shine. Like, understand that you are on a mission. It's no less important uh, than what I'm doing. Probably more so important. Because most of the time I rub shoulders with Christians. A lot of the time, most of the time, you will rub shoulders with people that need Jesus. So what I was going to do at the end, because we haven't got time and we sort of want to leave before um, the storm gets any crazier, we want to stand up.
And I want to pray and commission all of you to see your work as ministry, to see your work as a calling. Like I want to pray off that whole feeling that some people may have. is like, what I'm doing is so insignificant for you, God. And I want to pray and, and prophesy that as you leave here, you're going, to just, you're going to be working a whole lot different. There's going to be an anointing and a grace um, and that you will become a huge influence. I'm going to pray that dreams will be birthed. Um, that you know, you'll understand perhaps for the first time that you are called to one of those seven mountains of influence that, that, that God's got something incredible for you to do. So if you, if you want to agree with that prayer, just, just stretch forth your hands. God, I want to thank you for every single one in this, in this room. I want to thank you, Lord. You've created us to do good things. You've prepared for us good things to do. And most of those things are in the marketplace, God, are in the business world, are in the mundane things from Monday to Friday, from nine to five. Lord, I pray that everyone here or listening or watching this will no longer see their work as a drag, but Lord, they will see their work as an incredible calling that they will understand and take on that calling of being an incredible influencer wherever God has called them. I pray for a fresh anointing, which means supernatural enablement, a grace to be upon their lives. I pray that you will surprise them with incredible opportunities, that you will speak to them as they work, Lord, that you will guide them as they work, that you will move as they work, Lord. I wanna pray for a fresh spirit of mission to be a part of our church, Lord, that we understand that Renew Church, what we're doing today is we're coming together in result, but we're called to go and be shaken out over the society, Lord. We are called to shine. So every person here, I, I declare and I prophesy, go and shine in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.